Today on episode 6 of Beloved by God, I'm going to answer two difficult questions about finding faith. First question, do we really have free will? Second question, is God really good? I'll answer them in order, but first, let's open in prayer. Lord, we come before you today as your children. Similar to children, we need your guidance, wisdom, and correction when we veer off course. I ask for healing for the brokenhearted and downtrodden listening today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first question, do we really have free will? God doesn't force us to do anything, but instead allows us the freedom to choose what we do. Unfortunately, this freedom allows people to hurt themselves and others when they're not aligned with God's will. God created everything, but he doesn't control us like a puppeteer. Instead, in his kindness, he allows us to have autonomy and is always working things towards good through his sovereignty. Imagine you desire to sail through the Gulf of Mexico headed for Jamaica upon a 30-foot sailboat. You spend months planning and purchasing supplies for your roughly 60-day round trip. On day 15 of your journey, you hear about a hurricane heading towards your path on the radio. You feel a pain in your stomach as anxiety begins to sink in. A Category 4 hurricane is projected to be near you within the next five days. If you change course southward to Honduras, you can spare yourself the risk of riding into the storm. However, you won't have the resources, time, or ability to finish your journey to Jamaica. Free will allows you to change direction south or continue sailing eastwardly into the storm. God controls the wind, waves, hurricanes, and honestly every variable outside of our free will. 99% of us would head for Honduras knowing the likelihood of surviving this hurricane in the Gulf on a 30-foot boat would be too risky. Yet, God allows you to choose. He doesn't force you to head south even though it's the obvious best choice. If you head eastwardly against God's will, you may end up shipwrecked or worse. Unfortunately, God's will isn't typically as obvious as this example I just gave. Sometimes we have to ask Him for discernment, solutions, and provision through prayer and the wise counsel of others. Can you remember the last time you sought God's will through prayer? If you're struggling to remember that time, you're not alone. Less than half of all Christians pray daily. Until recently, I too was not praying daily for God's will. Here's a short list of things you should pray about before exercising your free will. I'd ask that you underline it. Okay, here it is. Everything. Philippians 4.6 says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. You've probably heard this said in Christian circles, God will never give you more than you can handle. The intentions are good, but this is absolutely a lie and non-biblical in nature. Yes, God will give you way more than you can handle, but why? Because if this life was smooth sailing, we wouldn't need a God. If every street was named easy, we would never slow down to recognize our need for a Savior. As John Madden used to say, the road to Easy Street goes through the sewer. If God didn't allow free will, we wouldn't love freely either. We would be all programmed to love God without any say-so in the matter. However, love isn't a feeling, it's a choice. It would be artificial, unauthentic, and robotic for God to force us to love Him. He loves us so much that He allows us the autonomy to reject Him. We're accountable for the decisions we make. For every cause there is an effect, and for every effect there is an account. If I wreck my car because I was distracted by my phone, it's not the phone's fault nor God's, it's mine. Again, with free will, I made a bad choice to text while driving, which is both reckless and dangerous. Romans 14.12 states, So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. If we didn't have free will, we would not have to be accountable for our actions. 
God will judge us all, not because he's evil, but because he's righteous and just. God detests sin. It's against his very character. So the answer to free will is 100%. We have it. But we should not use it without seeking God's will first. Question 2. Is God good? One of the hardest things to accept is God's will, especially when children are involved. How can a good God allow any suffering or tragedy to happen to children who are innocent? Why doesn't God protect them from pain and suffering? Why does childhood cancer exist, and why do some children die shortly after birth or in utero? All of his children are on loan to us. God made them, and they are his children first. Psalm 127, 3 and 4 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. That doesn't mean we shouldn't mourn or be angry when tragic things happen to children. However, rest assured that God is surrounded by armies of children in heaven. Jesus said in Matthew 19.14, Let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. When we believe that all people are made by our God who is good, it makes acceptance of his will easier. When we know our children, who are totally innocent, are gifted eternal life if they perish prematurely, then believers are assured that we will be reunited in heaven. King David addresses this when he loses the child that he had with Bathsheba. 2 Samuel 12, 22, and 23 states, David replied, I fasted and wept while a child was alive, for I said, Perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. David knows he can trust God's will, that his faithfulness will allow him to be reunited with his son in heaven. We became guardians to our niece when she was just five days old. During my sister-in-law's pregnancy, she actively tried to kill her baby using drugs and alcohol. Child Protective Services was waiting for her to be born to relocate the baby to our home. I remember seeing her for the first time. I noticed she was bright pink, shaking, and would not stop crying. She was having withdrawals from the alcohol and drugs that her mom was actively using. Every time my niece would cry, shake, or not sleep, I became angry that anyone could do this to a child. I would blame God for allowing this to happen to her, and to us, even though I asked him to use me just months before. I would spend up to three hours trying to feed her a single bottle for her to puke it all up and have to start all over again. I had zero energy for self-care, and every waking hour was spent trying to keep my niece alive. My wife and I were in shambles having our newborn son, a three-year-old, and now our niece with special needs. Over the course of months, I had bonded with her and felt such love for her that I envisioned her being my daughter. I decided I would do whatever it took to raise her, and my wife and I agreed to become foster parents. During our classes, we learned a lot about her condition and the skills we needed to be effective parents. Sadly, my sister-in-law began to make death threats, saying we kidnapped her baby and that we would pay with our lives for taking her. Our niece's father was incarcerated, and my sister-in-law's acquaintances were drug addicts and violent criminals. When she made threats, we knew we could not safely keep our niece. My wife and I were at odds with what to do because I had bonded with my niece to the point that I felt 100% responsible and loved her like my daughter. We ended up adopting her out to a Christian family that has done a remarkable job raising her. During this time, though, I felt my daughter had been taken from me. I internalized losing her as a personal failure. Feeling ill-equipped as a father and like a failure, I spiraled into addiction and ended up separating from my wife and children as a result. My sister-in-law passed away, finally succumbing to her drug use, 
and my niece's biological father was killed in prison. Thank God the story didn't end there. A good God helped me sober up and reunite with my wife and children. A good God blessed my niece with a strong Christian family that loves her dearly and who can provide medical care that my wife and I didn't qualify for. A good God helped my niece overcome fetal alcohol syndrome and developmentally hit all of her milestones. A good God allows my family to be a part of her life, see her smile, dance, and be happy. You see, she was never mine to begin with. I only had her for a while. God used my wife and I to save her from certain death, but her adoptive parents helped her thrive. She's now living the life she was designed for, and God turned what was utter chaos into something beautiful. Given enough time, he will show you that good can come even from the darkest and scariest places. All it takes is some faith, time, prayer, and for God to move. Truth be told, this world is closer to hell than to heaven. A fallen world is full of sin, imperfection, injustice, and sorrow. Jesus talks about this in John 16.33 when he says, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus came to earth to live a blameless life, yet he experienced the same pain, suffering, grief, injustice, and torture we see daily. We are made in God's image and have a sin nature tracing all the way back to the garden in Genesis. Our sinful hearts make it impossible to enter heaven on our own accord. That's why Jesus went to the cross in the first place, for no other reason than to make us right with God as our living sacrifice. Christ, who was God in the flesh, chose to be our Savior. He carried all past, present, and future sin upon himself onto the cross to make the ultimate atonement. When we accept that Jesus is God, he becomes our waymaker into heaven. God chose to sacrifice Jesus not only to make a way of repentance, but to relate to our pain. When Jesus was whipped, spit upon, tortured, mocked, and degraded, we see our Maker relating to the injustice we'll face in this life. When we see Him murdered upon the cross, we see our own fate if we choose the world, which is death. Yet, when we see a resurrected Jesus overcome death, we see that this isn't our home, that there is more to life than our physical realm, but a heavenly realm. Only after Jesus overcame death were the disciples willing to deny themselves, take up their crosses, and boldly share the good news. Sane people will not choose to die for a lie. No matter what you believe about the disciples, they deny Jesus could overcome the world in physical death. It wasn't until he was resurrected that they were willing to die for him. They no longer had a fear of death, but embraced it as temporary and a rewarding cause. In conclusion, God is good and cares deeply for his children. When he takes life, it's for his glory. When he allows suffering, it's never wasted. God doesn't just act good, he is good. God is love. That means nothing evil dwells within him. He is a light in the darkness, in a dark world, and we may not agree with his will, but acceptance can be found when we know his character and that he is good. If you'd like to support our podcast, you can do so at www.patreon.com slash belovedbygod. Thank you for listening. Please like and subscribe and share to help us grow this ministry. God bless you.